Good. Well, Happy New Year. I hope you guys are having a good start to the new year. If you're visiting, we're just really glad that you're here with us. So this is just a worship service where we love to worship Jesus, and we do that by singing like you just uh, did with us. We do that by teaching the scriptures, which we're about to do. We're starting uh, a new book, new series uh, in the book of Philippians. Really excited about the next 11 or 12 or 25 weeks uh, that we'll have together this book, and uh, some of you guys got that, good. And then uh, also we worship Jesus by giving. Uh, for those of you that consider this your church home, we're thankful for how generous you've been. Uh, God has been truly faithful to us in that way to help this church get off the ground and, and do mission uh, and make disciples of Jesus. So uh, we give in the little black box in the back, and a lot of you guys give online as well. So just thank you for being, being generous and being good stewards of what God's given. Um, if there, I don't know if there are any burden kids in here, you guys can, I just meant to say you guys can head out to... Learn about Jesus across the hall. I think they all were able to uh, walk out there. So um, also, big uh, just announcement. Wanted to let you guys have the final update on the appeal process of our Paramus project. We got the official letter on Saturday. So yeah, no one was uh, not wanting us. No one was, yeah. So really, (laughs) praise the Lord. Uh, We'll see once we get in there if they still want us. But no, no, they will. Uh, Lord willing, we will be an asset to Bergen County uh, because of who Jesus is, so uh, not a deficit. So um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. Go to Philippians. The book of Philippians is in the New Testament, and uh, we're going to be walking through this letter. Really excited about what God might do uh, just, just in us and through us as a, as a faith family through studying this letter. Uh, there's so much in this letter um, that we're not going to cover it all. As I say, please know as we go through books of the Bible, um, my job is never to uncover all the riches that are in these books. I just kind of hopefully wet your taste buds and let you go home and do the intense study and digging and searching and reading and praying and continuing to marvel at all that is in the scriptures. Um, this is just going to be but a morsel of what God uh, has revealed to us, and hopefully it'll lead us into some places that are, that are filled with deeper joy and deeper life and, and deeper freedom. Um, and I hope you guys are just encouraged over the last two weeks. Uh, Michael did a great job at uh, pointing our eyes to how transformation really happens by, by seeing more of Jesus Christ, by seeing more of his person and work. And here's what's great. Um, Philippians really just kind of rides the coattails off of what Mike did the last two weeks for us because um, Paul is just going to continually push us into who Jesus is, that Christ is all things, he's before all things, he's in all things, he is the one singular person worth pursuing, given affection to, because of who he is. So um, it's going to be fun looking at that. So why don't we pray and ask God to uh, do something to teach us and uh, to maybe uh, surprise us this morning. So God, thank you that you are a good father. Thank you that you uh, love us as your children. God, thank you for truth that you've revealed in your word, and we pray that, God, your Holy Spirit would, would do something sweet in our hearts this morning, that, God, even the areas and the spaces that it invades that hurt a little bit would cause more life. Uh, God, that we would surrender, that, God, we'd be honest before you about uh, the areas in our life that are not right with you. We thank, we're thankful that Jesus makes us right and then allows us to walk in that progressively. Father, you are all things. Um, and we ask that you would speak in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so Philippians is, is basically known as, as, as a prison epistle, okay? It's known as one of the prison epistles. There are basically four. There's Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, and then Philemon. Um, because Paul's writing from prison, from a Roman prison, uh, to these different people. And so we walked through two of them. We did Colossians, we did Ephesians, now we're in, in Philippians. And there's, 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 a lot, there's a lot going on here. But understand, out of all of Paul's letters, this is the most endearing. 
Okay, this is the most kind of affectionate letter that you'll read by Paul, in my opinion, where you can see the deep love he has for this church that he founded, okay? So he helped plant this church. So it's like, uh, kind of, you know, we, we started church at Bergen, and then, let's say, years down the road, God called me somewhere else, and I write letters to you just telling you how much I love you, what I'm hearing about what God's doing. You can kind of get a sense, dive into the story here, that this is what Paul's doing. I mean, he was their pastor, Okay, and he has a great love for them. He saw people converted. He saw people see more of Jesus. He saw people get saved. He saw people freed from the enslavement of sin. So he's writing these things in real ways to real people. It's so easy to kind of read these letters and just think he's writing to some random people that exist across the Aegean Sea that he's never really talked to. Okay, we're going to see a little bit of a backdrop into Philippians to really get a good grounding on who these people are and what this church was like that will really help you in understanding this Letter and, and, and here's the thing, Philippians talks a lot. You're going to see a lot of talk about joy, contentment, unity. Okay, a lot of people call this the, the epistle of joy, but, but here's what I'm going to lay before you is I, I think what Paul's really going to get at is those are just fruits. Okay, those, those are just surface things, and you've got to get below all those fruits, the joy, the contentment, to go deeper to the substance that causes all those things, which is Christ. Okay, so, so if we can get that, then you're going to get all the other things. But you've got to get Christ first, that he's all things, that everything else is rubbish. He's going to say in chapter 3, compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus, okay? Once you get there, then all these other things are just fruits. Okay, your joy will increase. Okay, unity will increase. And that's what we're going to see here. And that's where he wants to get the Philippians' hearts. And that's where he wants to get our hearts. Amen. Amen, okay? So, so here's what we're gonna see for the next 11 weeks. And this is why we've titled this series, Christ is All. Paul is going to try and unpack for you all the reasons why you should adamantly pursue Christ at all costs. Because what he's going to say in this letter is, if you get everything, right? I mean, if, if you get the perfect marriage, if you get the perfect bank account, if you get the perfect house, if you get the perfect children, if you get all those things, but you don't get Jesus Christ, you've lost, right? right? You, you haven't won. So he's going to say, don't let the goal be your morality. Don't let the goal be you looking like the Christian community the way that you think they want you to look. Don't let the goal be you having this marriage that looks better than everyone else's. You never fight, never have conflict. Let the goal be him, Okay, that, that's where he's going to drive our hearts. You're, some of you are going to get sick of it by like next week, okay? But we're going to just keep repeating it over and over and over because the best things are worth repeating, which is why, you'll notice in Paul's writings, he repeats stuff all the time. That's why all the letters he writes to are to people who are Christians who have heard the gospel. And he always says, let me remind you of what I've already said, of the gospel that I preached to you. And I'm just, let, let's, let's get started, okay? Let's, I'm, I'm on my... Only on my intro. Uh, just really excited about that, right? True, true, true life is lived for him, in him, and by him, right? That, that's, that's the goal. So, so how did this church start? Okay, so if you're in Philippians, just hold your finger there. Go to Acts 16. You don't have to. It'll be on the screen as well. I just want to give us a little bit of a window into how this church started because seeing the birth of this church is really going to help us understand the letter. Okay, we're going to keep coming back to this a lot. So um, Acts 16, if you look at that, Acts chapter 16, Paul's on his second missionary journey. He's with Paul. Uh, Paul is with Silas. He's with Luke. And what happens in the first three verses, you'll see he goes and picks up this guy named Timothy. 
Okay? Timothy becomes kind of his spiritual son, kind of his, his spiritual protege. He, he teaches him. He trains him. And, and Timothy's there when the church of Philippi starts. So, so he's got them together. Okay? So, so as they're walking, they ultimately come to the last piece of land they come to in the missionary journey, which is Troas. Okay? Troas, I don't even know if I'm saying that right, but just read it in your Bible and pronounce it however you want. Troas okay, is this place on the northwestern part of where Asia was, and they're looking out across the Aegean Sea. As they look out across the Aegean Sea, they're going, okay, Lord, where do we go next? And then Paul gets what's called the Macedonian call. Right? Some of you are familiar. It's a vision that says, hey, I want you to go to Macedonia and take the gospel there. So they get on a ship. They go across the Aegean Sea to the northern part of Greece. They dock. They make like two pit stops and then end up in Philippi. And the leading city in Philippi, or in Macedonia, is Philippi. Okay, the northern part of Greece. And, and here's what happens. They get off the boat. They've, they've gone for, for a couple of days, maybe a couple of weeks. Paul arrives, and there's no Christians, no churches that we know of. And so the first place Paul and Silas and Luke and Timothy go is to a women's prayer meeting by a river, verse 13. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. Okay, real quick. Some of you guys are going, why did he go by the riverside to a place of prayer? Okay, well, number one, Paul's looking for Jews, okay? That's why it's on the Sabbath, and that's why he's, he's finding the prayer meeting by the river, because if you go back to the Old Testament, you see when the, when the Jewish people were in exile in Babylon, they had no temple, they had no synagogue, they had no place to worship, so they sometimes would go by custom down by the river and weep. They would weep because there was no temple, no synagogue, no place to worship. So here in Greece, there's no temple and no synagogue. Okay, so that's why Paul's thinking, hey, if I can find some people, they're probably going to be by a riverside, okay, weeping or praying or because they don't have a temple or synagogue. So he goes by this place, by the river, place of prayer. He sits down with them, it says, and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, maybe, uh, who's, who had come, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Clearly he explained the gospel of Jesus Christ. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. Okay, so this is a sermon in itself. I mean, amazing that even she has the integrity as a new believer to say, hey, do you see evidence of conversion in me? Have you judged me faithful by the Lord? Right? I mean, that's powerful. I mean, what, what if we treated our lives that way? Hey, is there, is there evidence that Christ is at work in me? Is there any sin that I need to confess or repent of? Right? No one likes that. that that's demonic and evil, right? No, that's biblical, right? That's good. So, so here we see all this happening. The first members in this new church plant at Philippi is a business executive, wealthy woman, and her whole house. Okay? Verse 16 says this As we were going, and as we were going to the place of prayer, okay, this is probably the following week to pray again by the riverside. We don't know when. We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. Okay, so as they go back to pray by the river, they see this girl who's just in a frenzy. She's demon possessed and she's fortune telling, right? But through de demonic influences and she's doing it to make money for these men. So these men. Get, basically get her into slavery and say, hey, I want, I want to abuse you and you use your gifts to give us gain. And so, so she's manic, she's crazy, and she keeps hollering at him. She says this, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. 
you know that demons know what's true, right? So the demons are just professing something that's utterly true, right? They know that they're proclaiming the way of salvation of the Most High God. She's not saying that. The possession through her is saying that. And this is great. Paul having become greatly annoyed. I love the humanness in him, right? Who wouldn't be annoyed, right? A manic just screaming at you, okay? Says this. He turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. Okay, for some reason, they don't take Timothy and Luke. But they take Paul and Silas. They're really angry. Now listen, we don't know what, what we see in the scriptures becomes of this girl. But I think we have every reason to rightly believe that she believed in Christ having been delivered from this demon possession and attached herself to this team at Philippi. Okay, so, so now we have in this, in, this, in this new church a business executive with a manic. A girl who used to be a manic fortune-telling demon-possessed slave girl. Probably not your core team you'd start up, right, for a church, right? I mean, you know, we were looking at Church of Bergen. I wasn't going, yeah, I want the manic, right? I mean, we weren't saying that, right? But God knows what he's doing. He's infinitely wiser than us. He's infinitely bigger than us. And so he's forming this church. Then there's an uproar, right? The men don't like that all of a sudden, selfishly, they're not getting money. They're not getting rich. And so what do they do? They go take them before the high priests and the rulers. And uh, Paul and Silas are beaten. They're thrown in jail. But God knows what he's doing. Okay, there's another man God wants to save, the jailer. This is great. Go ahead, throw him in jail. I want to save him. So here's what happens in verse 25. At midnight, Paul and Silas, they're in jail. <laughs> they're praying and singing hymns to God. Okay, that's a sermon. Okay, and the prisoners were listening to them. Okay, people are like, why are those guys exhibiting joy? And suddenly there was an earthquake, so the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Can you imagine that? And when the jailer awoke, okay, not good to sleep on the job. I mean, especially if you're a jailer, right? I mean, so, so he wakes up. He wakes up and he sees the prison doors were open and he draws his sword and is about to kill himself, supposing the prisoners had escaped. The reason he was about to kill himself is because he didn't want the public humiliation of when prisoners escaped, you were publicly killed. You're publicly executed. So he's going, I'd rather just kill myself here because these guys got out than be publicly humiliated. And Paul cries out with a loud voice, I love this. Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. The jailer calls for the lights. He rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and said, sir, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. He was baptized at once. And he and all his family. And now people say, oh, see, you just got to say a little word of belief. Now, do you see what the belief did? The belief caused him to, even at the expense of his great vocation, where he was a jailer working hard, he took them back to his house and started cleaning their wounds. There's profound transformation in this man. And so here's the core team of the church at Philippi. You got a business executive in her household, a young girl who used to be in slavery, who was fortune telling for men, who was demon possessed, and you have a city employee in his whole house. You keep reading, they actually free Paul and Silas because they find out Paul's a Roman citizen. 
right? And they're like, oh, man, he's a Roman citizen, so they let him go because that was not good, having in prison a Roman citizen. And then you'll see they actually go and begin gathering, gathering at Lydia's house. Now, why is this beautiful? A lot of reasons, but, but one, they're all together. <laughs> the, the gospel totally destroys all socioeconomic backgrounds, all ethnic divides, all cultural divides, right? These three people that never should have been together are now forming a church and worshiping Jesus. Okay, a jailer would never want to be, okay, with, with a previous manic who was demon-possessed and, and getting money who was in slavery. And a woman who was well-to-do would never want to be with her or an a ex-prison guard. That would just demean her self-esteem. And yet they're all sitting here worshiping together, and this is such a, a, a beautiful, beautiful picture. And here's the other reason that it's beautiful. God did it. God wanted to do it. God is the one who opened Lydia's heart, right? The name of Jesus is what delivered the demon possession from this young girl, right? God created the earthquake to wreck the jailer's life. God did it because he had a plan. He wanted to do it, right? They weren't looking for a gospel mission. They they weren't in their job going, hmm, let's see if we can start a church in Philippi. They weren't doing that. Like God said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to start this church. Nothing you can do about it. Right, so God starts this church, plants this church, uses sinful, broken men and women who are of different ethnicities, different divides, different cultural backgrounds, and he throws them all together in this new church. And this is the beginning of the church of Philippi. So now go back to the letter, okay? And you want, I want you to keep this in the back of your head. You've got to keep this in the back of your head, the rest of the letter, to help understand Philippians. Here's what we see in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul is now going to write to this faith family, Okay? He says this in verse 1, Paul and Timothy, a servant of Christ Jesus, to the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, it's elders and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So as Paul is writing this letter to the Philippians, he's chained to a Roman prison guard. He's in the fourth year of custody under Emperor Nero waiting his case. What was the case? You're not allowed to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he's waiting to find out if he's going to be executed or not, and he's writing to this church. And interesting that Timothy's not in prison with him, Paul is, but he mentions Timothy in the introduction. Now there's a number of reasons that he mentions Timothy in the introduction, okay? One is that Timothy was deeply loved by the Philippians. Okay, Paul was deeply loved by them, but so is Timothy. Remember, we just watched the birth happen. Timothy was there with them when this church started. Okay, so, so first Timothy was with them. Secondly... Timothy probably wrote this letter for Paul. Somebody goes, oh, man, that blows his authorship. No, it doesn't. This is very common to Paul. Paul often had someone as a dictator or a secretary write for him when he couldn't, and his, his imprisonment had privileges where Timothy was allowed to come visit him and work alongside him. And so Paul couldn't go. So you'll see this in like Romans 16. At the very end, it says, I, Tertius, greet you in the Lord and write this. We know that Tertius didn't write the letter. He penned it for Paul. Because it over and over again, Romans says, Paul, I, Paul, I, Paul, I, Paul is the author. In Corinthians, Paul says, this is from my own hand, even though someone else transported it for him. So this doesn't take any, anything away from his authorship. It's showing, hey, I'm sending, later in chapter 2, we're going to see him send Timothy to this church. Okay, so he's just the mailer. So he includes Timothy in this, and here's what he says. Paul says to the saints in Christ 
Jesus. Okay, who are the saints? The Christians. Okay. Okay. Saint is the same word for holy, right? Now, he wasn't writing this saying, hey, because you're so righteous. Okay, now some of you guys, you hear that word saint, and the first thing that comes to your mind is a Catholic medal or a Catholic image. Okay, listen, biblically never has that word ever been used to celebrate someone who's been canonized by a council or venerated by people where masses are bowing and lighting candles in their image. That's never been used in Scripture to say that. A saint simply means one who's been made righteous or holy. Now, how were they made righteous or holy? Through Jesus Christ. These are the people who said, hey, I'm a sinner, I stumble and fall, I'm not perfect, I'm gonna, I see Jesus Christ, right? We just saw the birth of this church, he preached the gospel, then they saw, wow, there's forgiveness for me, there's mercy for me, there's, there's, there's liberty for me in my bondage, in my enslavement to demon possession, and these men who brought me to slavery, so the gospel frees them, they know they're not perfect, they know they're not holy in of themselves, and Paul says to the saints, you're made righteous by Jesus, to the saints that are in Philippi. And he says that in Christ Jesus. So biblically, a saint is someone who is in Christ. Now, in Christ is a word that Paul loves. It's a phrase that he loves. He uses it all the time, right? Now, now here's the thing. You know that that is completely distinct and unique from all other belief systems? I mean, that is actually what I think is one of the marks of Christianity, is that we are in Christ Jesus, Listen, people who worship Buddha, they don't say I'm in Buddha. That they worship Buddha, they're not in Buddha, right? I mean, Mormons, they don't say I'm in Joseph Smith. They might worship Joseph Smith or be follow a leader with particular teachings, but they're not in him. Like we are, right? We, the Bible says that we were buried with Christ, raised with Christ, right? We are actually in Christ. His life is fused with ours. He gives us his Holy Spirit. Right, so listen, in Christ is totally distinct from everything, right? But you, you, you've never met a Muslim who says, I'm in Muhammad. Never met him, okay? You won't meet him, all right? You can go try, I'll be like, what? All right, he'll look at you weird. Like, no, no, but we are in Christ Jesus. So Paul is just, just, lay, just in three verses laying before this beautiful reality that we are in Christ because of what he has done, right? Galatians 2.20, right? I'm in Christ, right? I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. You see that all throughout the scriptures, right? So Paul goes on just expressing here now his deep love for the Philippians. Verse 3, he says, I thank my God for you in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you making all my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. Okay. As Paul is in prison, chained to a Roman prison guard, what's he thinking about? Not his circumstance? He's thinking about his brothers and sisters? 
and thinking about his brothers and sisters in Christ who are partners in the gospel, partakers of the same grace, they've experienced the same glory that he did on the Damascus Road, right, in Acts chapter 9 when, when Jesus saved him. He, and that brings him joy. That brings him courage. That's bringing him comfort. He's not whining about his circumstance. That's convicting. <laughs> well, when was the last time you were having just a bad day and, and what gave you joy and courage was thinking of your brother or sister who is a partaker with you in the grace that is found in the gospel and it just gave you joy to know that they were alongside you in the journey. And, and I want you to notice something important. Paul is not thanking them. The agent that he's thanking is God. He says, I always thank God. Right? Now this is, the reason I say that because this is super important. Right? He's not saying, hey Lydia, I'm so thankful that you decided to join this gospel mission and turn your life around and pursue Jesus. He goes, no, I'm thanking God who is the agent, God the Father through Jesus Christ by the power of his Holy Spirit. I'm so thankful, God, that you saw good to save this woman, transform him, take the jailer, save him, take this demon-possessed slave girl who's a manic, save her while she was hollering at us. Like, I can't believe you would do all this. Thank you, God, that you would do that. He's saying it's not their morality, it wasn't their good effort, it wasn't their ability, it was God. So he's just thanking God. He has such a high view of God and Christ. He knows who the agent of transformation is, and he is so grateful to God in showing mercy. He knows they were all unlikely candidates. He knows that you and me are all unlikely candidates. No one is a likely candidate. None of us have a better resume, so God should pick us. <laughs> he does it in his mercy. He does it in his grace. He doesn't do it because, man, you're performing a little better than Sally or Joe, man. He's got a little bit more in his bank account than the other. Or No. God just does it because he's kind and because he's loving. And here's what's beautiful. Look at what gives Paul joy. It's not just that they're partakers in the gospel or partakers of this grace. The joy is that Christ will continue conforming them to the image of his son and complete it at the day of Christ. Verse six. If you have, an, if you have a pen, just underline verse six, okay? That is, that is the, the center of his joy. So what gives Paul deep joy is seeing brothers and sisters in Christ not just get saved, but to grow and mature in Christ. Like that's what's giving him joy. That's what's making his heart happy is that he's seeing people mature. He's seeing people put away sin. He's seeing people understand the freedom to walk in Christ. I mean, that's what we're seeing here. This is amazing. And remember, he's talking to real people. Like, think about those three people. Man, Lydia, I love seeing you grow in the grace and knowledge of God. Man, whatever this girl's name is, I love seeing you grow in the grace and knowledge of God. This jailer who gave his life, right, to, to the city and to just having prestige and fame or this woman who was so wealthy and all her riches going no no I love seeing you count that loss compared to knowing Christ you, you got to get in the story don't just read this letter like it's a letter Man, you got you got to dive deep in here and you just see this joy bursting forth in Paul's heart that they would grow and mature in Christ and I love it he says you don't finish the work you started in you because you didn't start it he finishes the work he started in you 
He started your work in you. He sustains the work in you. He finishes the work in you. Jesus is the goal. Let's just have an honest conversation for a minute. Struggling brother or sister in Christ, do you believe that? Do you believe that he's at work, good days and bad days? That it's not dependent on you, it's dependent on what he's already done. Do you believe that? Some of you just caught in sin. Do you believe that he desires to refine you and shape you and mold you? That he does not regret calling you his own? Do you believe that? Do you believe Ephesians 2 that you're his masterpiece? That he has to break you and refine you and mold you and shape you and that Do you believe that God, in utter delight, chose to save you, not just to justify you, but to sanctify you? Like, like, like God loves you enough not to keep you the way you are. Like, he's going to keep it going. He's going to keep it going until the day of Christ. So, 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 so hear me, he, he, he justifies you in Christ. When you trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin, you are declared righteous by God. In other words, he sees Christ's righteousness and not your own. So you are positionally declared righteous, but he's not satisfied with that. He loves you enough to begin forming in you Christ. Right? I mean, Paul says this over and over in his letters. He says in Galatians 4, man, I have labor pains until Christ is formed in you. Like, like I'm, in, I'm in agony over this, Right? I mean, Colossians 1, he prays that you would continue to increase in the knowledge of God. Don't, don't, don't stay where you are. Don't stay static, right? There's this progressing, enlarging, growing all the time more into the image of Christ. That's Paul's dream because it's God's hope. Because it's God's desire. And there's this joy just coming. And so, brother or sister, do you believe that he'll continue it in you? I don't know where you're at in your life. I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know the sin you're entangled in, but I do know that God promises to continue the work that he started out of gracious divine love for you. And Paul, is show, as he's showing them this endearment, how much he loves them, he rolls into a prayer for them and for us. Verse nine. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Okay, what is Paul's primary concern in prayer? It's that they don't stop pressing into, leaning into, knowing more of the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's his prayer. Paul is praying for this continued spiritual progress of the Philippian believers. This is his primary concern. Now, here is what is so 
profound. Paul does not pray for the success of the church. Paul does not pray for the physical needs of the church. Those are great things to pray. But what is one of the first things he wants to pray for? That they would be walking and growing and maturing and understanding, discern the knowledge all the way to purity and blamelessness. Okay, now, now, now here's what you can't miss. Okay, otherwise, you're going to fall into religion or just morality or just doing it yourself, okay, and not the gospel, okay? Don't miss what he says there, okay? It's key. He says, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through who? Jesus Christ. Okay, so, so who is the agent, right? Those are all fruits of righteousness, but they're only produced by who? You? No. By Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the agent that causes you to love more and more. Jesus Christ is the agent that causes your knowledge to increase. Jesus Christ is the agent that causes you to understand what is excellent, to have discernment. Jesus Christ is the agent that enables you, through the Holy Spirit, to walk in purity and blamelessness. Okay, So you've got to get that. Paul writes in circular ways all the time in his letters. It's almost backwards. So he's showing you the, the true agent after what he tells you is the fruit. And, and notice here he says, you're not full, you're being filled. So we're 100% justified before God, made righteous in Christ alone, but we are practically walking in, growing in righteousness, right? We are growing in love, growing in knowledge, growing in purity as a result of seeing the person and work of Jesus Christ. So, your pursuit, brother and sister, is Jesus. Your pursuit is not, okay, I need to love more. Like, your pursuit is not, okay, I just gotta, I just gotta know more. You know, oh, I just, I just got to be more pure. I just got to be more blameless, right? That's a, that's, a, that's a tiresome way to live. And the Bible doesn't ask us to walk or live that way. He goes, no, no, no. You are going to pursue him. You're going to pursue Jesus. You're going to be filled with Jesus Christ. You're going to marvel at his person and work. And that is going to cause you to abound in love more and more. That is going to grow you in knowledge. That is going to grow you in discernment. That is going to grow you in purity and blamelessness. As we see and look at what he has done, right? This is just riding the coattails of Michael's sermon last week. 2 Corinthians 3 was the text he used. Look at it again, verse 18. As we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So we grow, we mature in Christ. How? By you leaving this room and saying, man, I'm just going to change my whole schedule and get new disciplines, and those are great things. Those will happen and be a fruit of if you start with, I want to see the cross of Jesus Christ. I just want to sit and look at the mercy and crazy love displayed for me, a wicked sinner, a man who stumbles and falls and never gets it right, apart from his grace, who went on that cross and took all my sin and took on the wrath that I deserve so that I could actually walk in newness of life. Well, like, so I could be freed from my sin? And, and as you Marvel at that and see that. As you marvel at his perfections, his perfect knowledge, his perfect love, his perfect forgiveness, that transforms you. So as you gaze upon the radical love of Christ, your love will abound more and more. Trust me. 
word for abounding is this, this current love that doesn't stay the same. It's enlarging, building, continuing. And listen, Christ is the only possible agent of that type of love. Because I hear all the time, I can't love them. I try. They're just not nice to me. Okay, well, then you need to see Christ's love for you more. Keep, keep looking at Christ's love for you because you know what? He persists with you every day. You're unkind to him often. You rebel often. And he persists and he loves and he endures and he keeps going. So if you're struggling in love, you don't try to just grow in your love. You look at him. He's the fruit. He's the one who causes the fruit. Another thing just to note is that word discerning. This is beautiful. And discerning what is excellent, approving what is excellent. It's not talking about discerning or approving what's good and bad. It's discerning between what is good and best. Why is that awesome? Because when you approve or discern that Christ is best, that he is the greatest treasure, that he is the all-satisfying one for your soul, well, 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 then everything else begins to roll into place. Listen, when you start choosing Christ over sin, trust me, every time I do it, it works out. I'm not talking about circumstances, suffering, having trouble, feeling depression, heartache, anxiety. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying, but every time I trust the word of God and what Christ has said and what he says leads to more fruit and more life, it's never proven wrong for me. Like, like every time I run the other way, it's destructive. Okay, so, so, so listen, you're discerning, not just between good and bad, but what is best. So again, what are you doing? You're seeing him. You're discerning him as you look at what is best that enables you to grow in discernment. Well, man, I'm not going to pick that over Christ. It's all by seeing and marveling and walking in who he is. Let me just, uh, for some of you in here, I want you to, all of us, but, but if, you're, if you're a Christian, even if you're not, take yourself to a time in your life. It could be right now. It could be a, a week ago, 10 months from now, 15 years ago, where, where you, just the deepest, darkest place of your life, where you just felt dirty or bitter or angry or unloved or had self-hatred. Just take yourself back to that deep, dark bottomless place okay okay and, and as you're as you're there in that place Jesus Christ and his cross and he says you're mine and and not just you're mine holy spotless new family perfect dad, eternal hope, rescuer, freed from sin, no wrath for you, utter kindness, perfect, relenting love. What does that do for you? Mind-blowing. I mean, we need to go there. That's what Paul's getting at. That we need to go there. 
when you felt unforgivable, when you felt just like, why would anyone want me? Or you were so self-righteous in your doing that you thought, I don't need anyone. That still led you to darkness. It still led you to unfulfillment. And Christ says, you're mine. Now, just to, to kind of end, how, is this, how does this affect the issues of our soul? Just, just want to lay one thing out. If you approach any counseling session or, or church or, or you get together with someone and, and your focus, what's on the front of your mind is fix my problem. Okay, I'm going to church so my problems get fixed. Or, okay, I'm going to enter into this relationship with Jesus so my problems get fixed. Or, okay, I'll go to this counseling session so my problems get fixed. Okay? Experience will show that you bail quickly. Okay? If you approach those things as, hold on, I'm going to this because I want to see more of the mind-blowing gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to see more of his kindness, more of his mercy, more of his patience, more of his glory. Evidence will show that you stick with it. Because what's happening? You're not getting swept up in you fixing your problem. You're getting swept up in something much more bigger, much more glorious that says, hey, no, no, look at that. Look at that forgiveness you get, the kindness, the mercy, the radical forgiveness, all that stuff. I mean, child of God, endless riches. I mean, everything we taught in Ephesians. I mean, just crazy stuff, right? I mean, if you start looking at that more, all of a sudden you're getting swept up in that. You are looking at that. You're enjoying that. And that begins to transform your life. I mean, I mean that begins to get at the deeper issues of your soul, not just surface things. It's like when you go out and mow the weeds, Okay, you do that. Okay, if you just want to fix your problem, it's like mowing your weeds in your yard. I used to hate that as a kid. My dad would say, hey, go outside and pick the weeds. I go, but dad, they're going to be back in two weeks. Right, but that's what we do. We just mow the weeds. It looks great for a week. And then what happens? Sprout back up. We don't want to mow the weeds. We want to go at the root. We want to rip out the root. It's not going to happen by you just saying, hey, fix it. It's by seeing. It's by looking at. It's by tasting. It's by enjoying the gospel of Jesus Christ. So instead of saying, here are my problems that need fixing, we need to say, I need to know him. I need to know him. And I'm, Paul's going to keep saying that the rest of this letter. We'll end here. Don't miss it. What's the goal of it all? To the glory and praise of God. Why? What's the goal of maturing in Christ? Well, what's the goal of God saving you? What is the goal of you even growing in blamelessness and purity and righteousness and discernment? What's the goal of all of it? He gets praised. He gets worshipped. Who's getting worshipped for the start of the church in Philippi? Paul? No way. God is. He did it. Who gets praise and glory for the start of church at Bergen? Me? No. God did. God did it. I mean, we, we've talked about those stories, brothers and sisters, right, where I'm just like, what the heck? I mean, I, I, I didn't do this. I didn't know who you were. I didn't go out picketing and billboarding. And, you know, I didn't, I, God just did it. God's kindness. God's grace. So, so understand at the end of the day, you don't become a Christian for you. You don't grow and mature in your walk with Jesus ultimately for you. Our lives are to be lived fundamentally as Christians, not to make much of us, but 
to make much of him. So we grow and mature and look at him. Why? Because we want him to get more glory and more praise and more worship. And listen, even that will poke at your pride. Because we want glory. We all want to be many gods. We all want to be worshipped and esteemed. No one in here doesn't. I'm including myself. And, and God says, no, no, no. No one gets glory for what I do. No one gets praised for what I do. And as you worship and glorify him in that, you grow in godliness. You grow in maturity. You grow in discernment. You grow in love. Let me just end with a question. How old are you? Not your physical age. How old are you spiritually? If you can remember the time that you believe you were awakened to the glories of Christ and you trusted in him as your savior and you began walking in Jesus, how old are you? Okay? Think about that for a minute. Now here's my next question. Does that make sense when you look at your life? Like, is that proportionate to you growing and maturing in Christ. Some of you guys might look around and go, man, that person's walking with Jesus for like years less than I have. And man, they are like just growing in maturity and godliness. Some of you guys, you're looking and going, yeah, I mean, absolutely, man. I, Mike, as I look at my life, I can see that God's sanctifying me and growing me and moving me. I'm not talking about trying to compare or, or feel guilty or bad. I'm just saying God's goal for you is that you keep maturing and growing and moving towards Christ's likeness. So if if, if you're going the opposite direction, you might want to just stop and wonder if you are saved. Do I really know this gospel? I'm not saying you're not going to stumble and fall. I'm not saying you're not going to not sin. Oh, you're going to sin. I sin. We stumble and fall, but it's a trajectory of growing in the knowledge of him, wanting to put to death our sin, wanting to walk in holiness, wanting to be in the light. And we ask God to give us the joy for that because my fear is that for so many of you, this Sunday morning service is your only spiritual nourishment that you bank on. And that terrifies me. Some of you are living vicariously through sermons. And that's your spiritual walk with Jesus. And can I love you by saying, Run from that thinking and run to Christ and grab your Bible and get on your knees and get people around you who will love you and walk with you. Not because you have to do it to earn favor with God, but because you're so caught up in his great gospel that you can't help but not do that. Let's pray that God would help us. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you're a God who saves, who sanctifies, who finishes it. God, thank you that you mature us. God, thank you that in our sins and in our struggles, you continue with us, you persist. God, I pray for those of us that just need to be reminded of grace, that we would enjoy the grace that's found in the gospel. Those of us who are weary and tired, that God, we would realize that, that God, you are not done with us, that you are molding and shaping and refining. God, that we would never pursue purity or blamelessness or knowledge or, or a good life because that's what you're asking. God, you're asking us to get caught up in the personal work of Jesus that would cause us to become these things so that you are praised. May we enjoy you. 
Father, may you convict us, maybe some of us who, God, we, we really don't see any change in our life. Or, or God, we just think that by doing good deeds and better works that somehow you will look more favorably upon us, remind us that, oh God, all you ask is that we bow our knee and repent of our sin and turn to Christ. God, that might overwhelm us. May we be a faith family that is just a culture of grace, grace extenders, forgivers, walkers alongside one another because of your great gospel. Help us grow maturity to the day of Christ, not by our doing, but by looking at what you've already done. And as we observe the Lord's Supper, Father, I pray that we would enjoy your body that was broken, your blood that was shed, so that we could walk in freedom and newness of life. In Jesus' name, amen.